0: Our scripture this morning is Acts sixteen, sixteen through forty. Please bow with me. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their wounds, and they he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The Word of God for the people of God.
1: Chapter 16 of Acts begins in a section that we didn't go over, but it's describing the journey of Paul and Silas as they come into Philippi. Now, the, the Holy Spirit had blocked their way to go to other places, and it led them straight here to this Roman town. Earlier, they had met Lydia. They had baptized her and some of her friends, and this group of believers is going to be Uh, the group who Paul will later write the letter of Philippians to. But as we get into this passage here, we move from this gentle picture of grace and salvation to a frightening record of demons and prison and earthquake. But we know that it's all in God's plan, and so it's okay. So Paul and Silas here are being harassed by this girl. It's a girl who is possessed by a demon. And interestingly, the demon is not speaking things that aren't true. The demon is speaking truth. The demon is saying, or demons, these men are the servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's pretty true. <laughs> that's, that's right. The demons were speaking truth. We see that throughout the scriptures. In other passages, demons speak truth truth. But we know that just having a head knowledge of truth is not enough to be Christian. You have to have a belief in the saving power of Christ. You have to have a belief that he is your Lord. That's, of course, not where these demons are. They didn't do that. They were using this knowledge to torment, to harass, to mock. And Paul was not happy with it. Paul actually, verse 18, Paul responds in this way, He's annoyed by the demons. Now, that to me is an interesting reaction. I would not be annoyed by demons. I don't like scary movies. I don't like walking by myself in the dark uh, because I get scared. One time I I was actually working over in the Methodist church. It was a dark and stormy day, and I was in the sanctuary by myself, which is creepy enough. And this gentleman jumped out in a scream mask with a black coat and a knife. And I was paralyzed with fear, except for the little squeak that came out. <laughs> that It was a joke. It wasn't funny. I was scared to death. That's how I would respond to a demon. Paul is not like me. He's better than me. He's annoyed. He's annoyed by these. It's because Paul knew the power of Christ. He really believed in the power of Christ. He actually believed that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that belief made him fearless. And so he uses that power of Christ to command that demon to leave, and the demons love. Now, you would think that, you know, you come in and you remove demons, you would be hailed as a hero, but that's not what happens. This this poor slave girl, her masters were using her to make money because she was fortune-telling. She was doing things. She was a circus show. And when she didn't have her demons, now she's not a circus show. Now her masters are not making money, and they're angry. And so what they do is they drag Paul and Silas to court. They make up false charges. They incite a mob. And instead of being heralded as heroes, these men are beaten. They're humiliated. They're put into chains. And they're put into the deepest parts of the prison. Now... How do they respond to this, Paul and Silas being put into prison, beaten and humiliated for doing a really great thing like removing demons? Now, how would you respond to that? Or more importantly, how do we respond in our life when bad things happen? How do we respond when just frustrating things happen? When When the line in Walmart is too long, when our Amazon order gets messed up, when I don't get upgraded in the seat on the plane, <laughs> we get angry. Our, our days can be ruined by little things. They didn't let those, these big things ruin their day. They didn't respond in self-pity or depression. They didn't lose hope. It says Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were worshiping. They were worshiping in this prison. Now, they didn't want to be here. They were in terrible pain. They had just been beaten. They missed their family. They missed their friends. They were super uncomfortable, I can imagine. But their current situation had zero impact on their hope and their faith in God. And what a witness that was because it wasn't just them in the prison. There were others. The other prisoners were listening. And they were in awe. The jailer was listening and in awe of the peace that they had, even amongst this terrible situation. As Christians, we're not removed from pain. We're not removed from lonely situations, uncomfortable experiences. But we have the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us through those times. And so we we can't let life The pain and the hardness of life steal our joy, steal our hope, steal our peace. We have to let the Spirit guide us to worship even when times are hard because we never know how God can use us and we never know who is watching and what impact that can have on their lives. So as midnight is approaching, Paul and Silas are singing their melodies of worship, and a violent earthquake happens, shakes the foundation, removes the doors, loosens the chains of all the prisoners, and the jailer wakes up and he sees this disaster. Now, this, this man, this Roman jailer, he had one job, keep the people in the prison, right? That's his job. And so now, with the prison destroyed, the doors open, the chains loosened, he made an assumption about what happened. They've all escaped. They're gone. And with that, he knew that he had failed. His only purpose in life, keep these people in the prison, he had failed. There was no hope for him. And so, to support this religion, this Roman religion of secular state honor and personal sacrifice he must die and so he determined to end his life but something amazing happened paul calls out they had not left they had not escaped paul calls out and he told him that they were there now this guy this roman jailer you would think that he is he's a tough man he beats people for a living he he manages a dark nasty dungeon he lives a life of brutality and blood. And yet when he heard the call of Paul, it says he rushed in trembling with fear and he fell down before them. Now, why is this man, this tough guy, why is he trembling? What is the source of his fear? It is the fearful mystery Of God's holiness that has caused him to prostrate himself in fear it is a fear of awe and amazement amazed at the unimaginable power of God because God's spirit had touched his soul a few minutes ago this guy had no hope he didn't have any purpose he didn't have a reason to live but now he's amazed. He's amazed by the hope of Paul and Silas, and he wants what they have. He wants the peace that they have. He wants the salvation that they have. And so he asks them the most important question that he could ask. What must I do to be saved? And the answer that they give is, is important but what's also as important is the answer that 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 they did not give they didn't say to this man look how terrible you are look what you do you're a prison guard you beat people you've killed people what makes you think you're worthy of this even if that, even if that's okay and you want this, here's what you need to do. You need to go improve your morals, get a new profession, clean up your life, do a long list of really good things. Maybe, just maybe, you'll be worthy of the salvation. That's not what they said. That's not the answer. We don't clean up before we come to Christ. We are depraved. No, they gave him the gospel, the simple, powerful gospel that said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Now, not just this intellectual belief, not just saying words out loud. The demons did that, right? They said the words, but they didn't mean it. No, a true belief that recognizes the lordship of Christ. Have that in your heart. You will get salvation, and Christ is the only one who who can give you that. He is the only one who has the power to transform nasty people like you, Mr. Jailer, to children of God. Paul knew this transforming power. He was just like this poor jailer. He was tough. He was ugly. He had beaten people. He had killed people. And yet Christ had changed him completely. And so Paul's reaction to this guy was not anger or resentment or or self-righteousness that he thought he was better than him, but he reacted with warmth and with truth. Because Paul had the heart of Christ. Paul had a heart that one understood his own sin, understood his own depravity, understood how much Christ had, and Christ alone had brought him to this salvation. As we interact with the world, there's many opportunities that we can be hurt by people, we can be ashamed of ourselves, and we can be resentful of people and situations, that we can act we can be angered, we can be resentful, we can be self-righteous, but if we're doing that, we're not doing that with a heart of Paul. We're not doing that with a heart of Christ. Instead, like that journey that Paul went on and that understanding that Paul had, knowing it was Christ and Christ alone that brought him to this point, that's how we have to be. We, know, we have to know that it's not our own moral goodness that brought us salvation. And so when we approach other people with this kind of compassion, this kind of grace, it changes the way that we live. And then we can not only approach them with that, with that kind of compassion, but we can point them to the only one who can pull them out of their sinful selves. We have to point them to Christ. We don't point them to what we do. We don't point them to how good we are. We point them to Christ. Uh, Tim Keller, who passed away a few days ago, wonderful man of God, wrote, wrote many books, one of the greatest books, Prodigal God. If you haven't read it, you need to. I read this quote years ago, and it has always stuck with me. As we think about how we reach the world, many times we get it wrong. Keller wrote, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing, religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches, even our most avant-garde ones. We tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. When we think about the gospel, it's not just for buttoned up, nice, moralistic people. We don't segment the work of the Holy Spirit based upon groups, people that we think deserve this saving power this gospel of hope and salvation is for all people who believe now it's interesting when paul was kind of summing this up in galatians three twenty-eight, he said that there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in christ what he's saying is that there's no sect Siri's trying to preach for me, sorry. What he's saying, he's summing up this story of Acts 16, and he's saying there's no segmentation in the gospel. Think about this story in Acts 16. What do we have? We had a businesswoman named Lydia. We had a poor slave girl. We had a Gentile laborer, a jailer. They were all equally undeserving of grace, and they were yet equally transformed by God. And so we don't segment the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, this jailer's life now has been saved or changed. He immediately took Paul and Silas to his home. He washed them, cared for their wounds. And Paul baptized him and his family, giving a sign and seal of the saving faith that they had received And what follows, does he now say, I now must be a moralistic man who will continue to be really good and I will live a life of drudgery because good Christians don't laugh and be happy. (laughs) No, he celebrated. He rejoiced with everything he had with food and with fellowship. We see this running throughout the gospels. It is natural to celebrate what was lost and is now found. The parable of the prodigal son is a visceral example of this. When the son is found, what does the father do? He celebrates with everything he has. Christ had given this man and his entire household salvation. They had hope. And they had peace that surpasses all understanding. It was natural for them to celebrate, and they did. And so the next day, the mob is gone. The leaders are thinking through what they did, and they think, maybe we shouldn't have done that. These men are Roman citizens. We probably don't need them in the jail. This could go badly for us. And so they find Paul, they, they, they send a message to Paul, Paul through the jailer that they can just leave. Now, Paul doesn't let them off easy. He wants an apology, which to me is it's pretty strong from Paul. No, you need to apologize to me. I would just want to get out of the jail, but Paul wants apology. And so there's an interest. They they apologize, and then Paul and Silas go on their way, go on to other ministry opportunities. Now, but there's an interesting detail in this last bit of the story. And that detail is, who is relaying the messages back and forth to Paul from the leaders? The jailer. After this transformation of the jailer, he didn't become a pastor. He didn't become a missionary. He didn't become a street preacher telling all the Roman people they're going to hell. He didn't make a show of leaving his secular job and telling all the people that didn't leave their secular job how terrible they are in self-righteousness. No, what he did is he went back home, or he was home, but he got some sleep, he washed up, and he went back to work. Because having a job in a secular environment didn't make him any less of a Christian, and neither does it for us. Because when we become Christians, we stay prison guards and businessmen and teachers and farmers and lawyers and firefighters, but with hearts on fire for Christ that allow his love to transform the work that we do into glory for him. God uses us exactly where we are, reaching the people around us, wherever that might be. And so as we head back into the world, a world that can be difficult, a world that can be full of pain, but also full of joy, we have to remember the lessons from this period in Paul's life. To worship, even when life is hard and painful and humiliating, to tremble in awe before our holy God, to never forget that simple, powerful, gospel message to believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved to never stop celebrating god for the saving work he's done in our life and to remember that whatever we do and wherever we are we can do that for the glory of god now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think